podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Oh, here it goes. Welcome to Played in Full, episode 26, where we should be talking about the Golden Globes and also the latest film that we've watched, One Life by James Hawes. And today I'm actually joined by two of my co-hosts. I'm Jude, by the way, if you don't recognize the voice. And I'm joined by my two co-hosts, Scully and Ross. How are you guys? Hello. Yeah, I'm good. Good I'm evening. Good evening. Good. Feeling great. Yeah, man. Feeling great. Like, feeling good. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Um, I'm good, man. I'm good. I've been I've been in a I've been in a good mood. I've been watching a lot of content recently, you know. Like a good start to the year. I feel like me and Ross had a healthy conversation about Godzilla last time. And yeah, we want to do the same for One Life today. How about you guys, man? How how's life? What have you been up to in the last week? I'm enjoying life. Uh, back to work. I'm feeling quite motivated. As you always are at the start of the year, the important thing is to like manage it and not get burnt out. But you know, you're making those lifestyle changes at the start of the year. I'm yep. hoping they they help so that you know I don't get burnt out. I actually think I should pick at you a bit more because yeah, you didn't make it for the first episode of the year. I'm <laughs> not being slight, but. Yeah, you had the whole Christmas period of like watching content and stuff. We didn't necessarily get to speak about it as much. So yeah, bef- just coming up to the new year and obviously over the last week and so, what have you been catching up on? Um, I've watched a lot of film, actually. <laughs> I've watched a yeah. lot. I watched After Sun, which I enjoyed, but not as much as people enjoy. And yeah. I don't know... I still haven't seen that, if I'm honest. A lot of people... It's got a really... Oh, some people give it really rave reviews and then some people just like, it's just okay. Like, and yeah. I think I'm in the second camp. Like, it's a good, I get why people like it. I think the self-shot 35 mil bits, like, do a lot of heavy lifting for people. It's a very personal film? film. What was that film you and Naz had, like, a split view on where it was, like, it was contrasted, but you both Past had, Lives. Like, so, uh, I really like Past Lives and didn't think After Sun was that great and she really liked After Sun and didn't think Past Lives was that great. Yeah. And I think, I think they're both similar in the sense that a lot of things are implied but I think Past Lives just does it a lot better. Yeah. Uh, part of the problem might have been, I told you guys on the end of your episode, one of my favourite films from last year was After Sun. Uh, not After Sun, sorry, it was Scrapper. Yes. And they're very similar. Uh, After Sun and Scrapper are quite similar. In their, not, in, in their subject matter, one is about disconnection and one is about reconnection. Yeah. And yeah. I just felt one had a bit more heart. Like I got way more connected to the characters in Scrapper. Maybe I related to it a little bit more. Yeah. After Sun isn't a bad film by any stretch. It is a good film. But it's really interesting to me that this is a film that has super like pushed Paul Mescal's career like to a new level. Because it is, yeah. th- don't get me wrong, it's a good film. I just don't think it's like, an all-timer, which someone like Naz was saying, Naz was like, this is one of the best films ever made. I was like, it's it's not that good. Like, oh, it's okay. Good. It is good, but it's not an all-timer. And that's okay. I'm sorry to even cut you off there, but I'm sure, Ross, you've seen After Sun as well, right? I have seen After Sun. And it's interesting because actually I'm probably in the same position uh, as opposing Scully. Because I, I, I like Past Lives, but I thought it had problems. In particularly mm-hmm. in how it told its story and some of the framing of it. I think the back end of Past Lives is fantastic, but I think the kind of like first 45 minutes, nearly an hour, just doesn't hit for me. It just it just didn't work. So the emotional boost at the end is great, but there's it was too little, too late almost. Um, whereas for That's After so Sun... That's so funny. I think, I think, I think about After Sun. Yeah. But yeah. I, think the, I think the thing with After Sun is... And it's interesting that you compare it to Scrapper and obviously in terms of connecting with the character and stuff is because After Sun is pretty, I say bleak, but it's pretty melancholy, you know, like it's, yeah, yeah. it's very ambiguous. A lot of it is sort of kind of in those sort of long shots, those kind of like haunting images of Mescal sort of either alone kind of on the yeah. cliff top or kind of alone in the room. At the end of the bed, yeah. Yeah. And so it's because the first time I saw After Sun, I really lo- I loved it. 
but I didn't know if there was something missing. And then when I watched it again, it kind of just really kind of hit home even further. So yeah, it, it's bizarre. You know, it's how people kind of respond to things. And sometimes that is down to like the emotion. Because I also know people who said, oh, I like past lives, but they didn't get together. It's like, but that's, that's, all like, that's it. I think that, that's, that's a separate the, conversation. Yeah. I yeah, think yeah. that is the point of past lives, like you're saying. And I think that's why past lives does it so well. To me, past lives is mm-hmm. a film about yearning. And yeah, like, yeah. people, I think yearning is a really popular term on the internet right now. People are like, oh, I see you're the yearner. And oh, I'm yearning for things. And people think that yearning yeah, means you get it. But I think yeah. it's kind of implied that when you yearn for things, you either don't have it or like you can yearn for something. Obviously, yep. you want to be in a relationship and still yearn for your wife. But it's usually implicitly that when you're yearning for something, you don't have it or you can't mm-hmm. have it. And past life is that. Like, it's like, yeah, this is something that happened or where I felt. I can't return to that and that's okay and it's all about how you process that and people think it didn't have a happy ending I think past lives did have a happy ending because she's come to terms with the life she leads and she comes like she's like actually this is a good life I'm just kind of looking at other things and hoping the grass is greener but the life I have now is great you know what maybe for some fans of film they might contrast these two in terms of how successful they are when it comes to, you know, award shows and, and stuff like that. And it just so happens with the Golden Globes, like after some wasn't even like nominated for anything. However, Past Lives had five nominations, if I'm if I'm right. So yeah, Possibly, nominated yeah. for Best Film, yeah. nominated for Best Female Actor in a Film, and um, what else? Best Director in the Film with Celine Song, best known English film and also best screenplay for a film. So very interesting and clearly like the Golden Globes really thought highly of it. But before we actually go into the Golden Globes and a few more like bits and bobs around film, Russ, I want to come back to you. Like it's been a week since we we spoke. What have you been watching recently? Yeah. So, I mean, as Scully kind of said, I've been trying to like just generally since the new year, try and get into some better habits. So I'm trying to read more. So I've downloaded Storygraph and I'm tracking what I'm reading. And I'm almost through my first book of the year, which is great. I'm happy about that. But I'm trying to... I'm reading notes. (laughs) Read in full. Uh, (laughs) I'm reading Notes on an Execution by Danya Kuafka. Um, And it's basically... Sounds very interesting. It's very bleak. No, I'm not even joking. No, 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 no. It was like, um, sorry, Um, I think it's Danya Kuafka. Um, it's basically kind of about, uh, it's it's a split kind of narrative between different perspectives, but it's about kind of uh, uh, a killer and then the women who he's impacted in his life, and it kind of follows the trajectory of all their lives from meeting kind of him as a young man and how he's grown, etc. And it's it's pretty dark. It's pretty kind of like you know bleak, but it's it's fascinating. You know, I'm I'm really enjoying. Does that he moment. exclusively kill women? It's complicated. Oh, <laughs> yeah. okay. It okay. is complicated. Okay. Um, yeah. In in you know, spoiler alert. In the book, yes, he's only killed women. Um, but I guess the rationale, his thinking, is quite complicated, and it's uh, yeah, it's not exactly. I'm just sat there, kind of going to bed, thinking, <laughs> "Wow, that's, oh, that's such really a harrowing chapter." I can't wait to yeah. just go to sleep and have lovely dreams. Even from yeah, a brief that. Google of of that, yeah, Dan Daniel is a is a lady, of course, and that looks really interesting. Funny yeah, yeah, I'd recommend that, it. I might pick it up. I'm actually really reading a pale view of the hill of hills by Kazuo mm-hmm. Ishigura, and I just find him such a fascinating writer. It's about a woman who lost her child. She moved over from Japan and her daughter committed suicide. And it's about oh like, her mentally retreating into the past. And she's essentially like finding bits out about herself in times that she had forgotten to kind of realize what she's going through in the present and the situation mm-hmm. at hand. And yeah, it's just such a, such a, powerful writing technique and it's so insightful how because obviously he's a Japanese writer and he grew up in he grew up in England so it's interesting how he sees that blend of the culture because whilst reading it I could 
as someone that is into a lot of kind of Japanese works, I can see like the themes and the culture kind of shining through with his words, but it's from a perspective yeah, yeah. where it's kind of similar to me as, well, I was born here as a Ghanaian, but you know what I mean? He was, he came here quite young. So yeah, there's that first or second generational feel to it as well. But yeah. That sounds no, really interesting as well, actually. I mean, if we're sharing books, I'm going to lend this to you guys after. I'm doing, so I do another podcast about football and it's about people who play football abroad. And I'm reading a book by a guest we had called Seth Burkett called Titans of the Teardrop Isle. And it's about a guy who goes to Sri Lanka. I actually had to find the book because I couldn't remember where he went, but he goes to Sri Lanka to play football just after university. And it's all about the culture shock he has there. And it's, I'm reading it because I can half count it as research and just because it's also like a really fun read. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, that's it's, a, that's a, it's a really interesting book, like a very interesting book. And Look yeah. at us. All getting new book <laughs> no, the, the challenge is keeping it up for the rest of the year. That's, yeah, uh, that's the thing. That's gonna Last year I said yeah. I'd read 12 books. Uh, I read seven and a lot of manga. So it's <laughs> really that bad because as a child, yeah, as a child I used to read like yeah. A book a, a week minimum. Mm. I feel really bad, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Um, yeah, no, that's but, a to, lot. but but to your original question, Jude, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm also I'm also trying to watch, if possible, a film a day. I mean, I watched 252 films last year. I'm going to try and hit 300. That's going to be my goal this year. So if I can do one a day, great. If, if I can hit 300, brilliant. And at the moment, we're in awards season, so I'm just I'm playing catch up on everything that I've missed that's probably going to get nominations. So like in the last week I have watched, uh, apart from some of the stuff we talked about last week, but especially with the last few days, um, went to the cinema last week to watch Priscilla, mm. which, you know, as you kind of said last week, is the antithesis to like, you know, uh, Elvis, Elvis. Yep. from, you know, last year. Um, and that's brilliant. That's, you know, that's really kind of, it's quite scary, really kind of actually. Yeah. It almost plays out like a bit of a horror, like at least or like a thriller at times. Yeah. Particularly those kind of like long shots, especially when it's just her in a room and it's just Elvis and his kind of like gang of it's cronies. It's so funny that we both say cronies at the same time because that's what it felt like. It, felt it was, like, it was uh, disgusting. You know like, what I mean? Those people. It felt like, you know what, at times it, it reminded me of my mind has gone blank. What is that film? Children's film, Bugsy Malone. Those type of cronies, like goons in the background, who are just doing whatever the lead leader yeah. says. And knowing that um, Priscilla herself watched the film before, like she passed, and was stating that, yeah, this is like exactly but what it's like. It's um, was like, it wasn't Priscilla who passed. It was uh, it was the daughter. Because uh, yes. the but the, it's interesting because the daughter rejected it, didn't she? She said, because um, I was reading about it the other day, and the daughter said that she didn't like the the film or the screenplay because she saw it as a character assassination of Elvis. Oh. But then it kind of. You know, I it, don't want to make any comments. <laughs> if you'd like to know my comments, please head over to my letterbox. Oh, you know, what? I have comments. Yeah, all I'm going to say on that one, lava, isn't it? I've been, <laughs> I've been on your neck my whole life. Yeah, I'm still on your neck. Yeah, you rest in peace and that, but still, dirty boy. No, if, if, if I'm honest, yeah, I, like I was saying last week, there was a moment in time where, yeah, Elvis was on the, on the vinyls in my house. Like growing up, my dad was a music man. He listened to almost every era of music. So my taste for music is pretty, pretty expensive. So I went, to watch Elvis when it came out as someone that just simply appreciated that era at least in some kind of way but learning over time what what Elvis actually represented like the the music and the energy and a source of his own wave and where it came from like yeah of course I rated him less but in watching Priscilla that really kind of it settled something for me where I was just like yeah I can't really do this anymore <laughs> like, I'm not really yeah, subscribed yeah. to the whole yeah Elvis thing. So I, mean, I actually I'm remember like, I love Elvis. Like I remember like, saying this to Jude before we went to go see Elvis. Do you remember Jude? I was mm-hmm. like, oh, do I like do we really want to go see this? Because 
Elvis is mad problematic. <laughs> you're yeah. like, oh, yeah, I mean, fine. Like, let me skin. I was like, no, I know he's got bangers. Like he has bangers, yeah. but just as a human <laughs> being, I've always found him so problematic. Yeah. And like my main thing with Elvis, the film, as good as it was, I think the score was great. The acting was great. Shot amazingly. It kind of gave him a blight for so many things. It was like, like all the black people in the film were like, "Oh, you right, white boy? <laughs> like, yeah, you, like, you can do the music. You right, white boy? Like, like, yeah, they just co-signed him like so much, and I'm like, I'm sure not all of these people were that happy with his co-sign. Like, yeah. And then my gripe, even with Priscilla, as good as Priscilla was, and as much as it showed, I still don't think. I still think because she loved him, Priscilla still gave him a bit of a blight. Like, I still think there's an element of we are not divulging how much he has taken advantage of this situation and a person. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's her perspective and she's allowed to feel however she feels. And I'm sure she truly loves him. But in both films, there's a layer of protection that he gets, which again that's that's down to them in it they're allowed to feel like that they're allowed to do that, yeah. well. that but do you think that's also from the more from the fact like of an adaptation point of view or do you think that's also more like an american point of view where like he's such an icon and i guess such a part of i guess american culture that even if they try some like they just can't do it's a, a bit of both definition. it's a bit of both i i was about to give you a wild can't comparison, but I don't want to do it. But there is there is artists who exist today who are very problematic. That when my children hear me play them in the house, which I probably will, and I'm not talking about ones who are convicted and in jail. By the way, yeah, I'm not talking about he who shall not be named. But there's other artists who are free and outside and making music today who I acknowledge are problematic. And when my children hear me playing them in the house, I'm probably not going to divulge the extent of which they are problematic. Because I'm gonna be like, at the same time, they did this thing, and I think that's a bias that we all have, and it's a it's a difficult one because we need to get better at kind of doing both, like being like, yeah, I really enjoy this person as an artist, and also they're a terrible human being. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. 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 I, I've kind of had enough of that that lane of of film as well, where yeah, I've had enough of that type of film where we just film or TV show where we picture someone that has kind of done something wrong in the past. And well, Elvis is, is definitely different from a Dharma, but you know what I mean? Like we can make so much more, but this yeah, is yeah. kind of the state of Hollywood is always in demand. But yeah, like considering Priscilla and obviously we, we've spoken about past lives as well. The Golden Globes that occurred over the, over the week and weekend rather. And yeah, that is the the biggest talking point right now. So yeah, first and foremost, I, I would like to ask everyone's thoughts. But yeah, there's such a a spread of winners, a spread of interesting things to talk about. So I think our first talking point should be about Lily Gladstone because yeah, like loved her her speech. She's essentially lined up to like for the best actress to pick her up in so many different other awards. But yeah, initial thoughts, guys. I think, I think the Golden Globes was really interesting this year because every year it feels like there's a shock or a surprise or this should have won or that shouldn't have won or da da da. And I feel like this is the most, we could have predicted everybody who won. Like it feels like that kind of year. Like, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. I just think it's so interesting. Like, everybody who won... Do you, do you really think we could have predicted... You know what? I, I do think there are some... There's some categories where I'm looking at it and I'm feeling like, hmm. But also, like Ross is saying, and sorry to cut you off, Scully, but like no, Ross is but... saying, there's loads of films I haven't seen, but sometimes I'd look at something and I'd assume you might not have won for that. So, best actor in a, in a film, musical or comedy... Paul Giamatti winning that is totally understandable for me, but I did see, I have seen Dream Scenario. I watched that over the week. Um, Wonka, I thought Timothy Chalamet, he wasn't that. You know, what I mean, it was more about. I heard the it was idea. quite flawed by a lot of people. That film. yeah, like as good yeah. as it was, people were like, he did well, but it also felt felt like it didn't fit right. I, I feel, feel like, like mm-hmm. I feel like the holdovers, like I told you before, I think it's a good film. 
Yeah. But I also feel like people really love it. Like I feel like people really love it. And I don't necessarily, I'm not in the camp of it's an all-timer, but I like the film and I'm not disappointed by him winning it because I think his performance was good. And it's a good what film. But is afraid. Like, Ross is the only person I feel like that's seen Bo's that out of us. Bo's, uh, Bo's afraid was, um, as I say, it's just a misfire. It's just super long. It was just a bit of a drag. It was like, it it was niche beyond belief. And, you know, I really like Ari Aster. I thought, I think Hereditary mm. uh, is one of the best horror movies, at least in the modern era. Um, I think Midsommar was really good fun. Well, you've said that yeah. several times over the podcast now, and I yeah. love it. And, I um, need to watch but, it still. But like Midsommar, you know, I loved it because... Both great films, you know, by the way. I came out of the cinema and you had people in that audience like, what the fuck was that? And like, they're pissed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I miss Bo's Afraid in the cinema. And I was a bit annoyed, but I'm kind of glad, actually, in hindsight. Like, because I feel like if I'd sat there and watched it, you would have just been... It just been staring at your watch the Arranged. whole time. Yeah. It's just it's it is inventive, <laughs> it's creative. There's some stuff in it that's admirable and you kind of think, wow, that's quite impressive. I said admirable. Like- <laughs> it's never great when you and when you describe the film as admirable, yeah. That means that is ass. That is yeah. that is that is thank you for telling yeah, that, us to work. That, like, that's like that's like, oh yeah, you put some effort in. Like, yeah, you know exactly. the ones where your teacher's like, oh no, no, good effort, good effort. You're getting to see a good effort. Something's quirky for the sake of being quirky. No detentions. You you were there. You are present. Yeah, Yeah, no. It's just, just, yeah, I just, yeah, it's just, for what it is, it's just too much. And I think even some of the hardest kind of Ariasta fans were like, no, this is, this is just a drag. This is difficult to get through. So, you know, but I mean, I think, you know, if you look at the kind of the other, the nominations just across the board, Mm -hmm. it's an interesting year because, it is true that people are sort of kind of getting, I say fed up, but they're, they're looking at kind of the awards and saying, this is too obvious. You know, this is boring. Everything's winning. That's probably going to win everywhere else. And then you get other nominations that might be a bit off kilter or different. And then suddenly everyone complains because someone yeah. who should have been nominated wasn't perhaps, you know, and we saw that this afternoon with the Screen Actors Guild as well, because they release their nominations, which Screen Actors Guild are always a little bit crazy anyway, because it's literally the actors voting. So they yeah. will see certain films or certain performances and they just won't enjoy it. I wonder how, or, or how they might not even see a film. I wonder how clicky that is, because obviously with all of these... It has, yeah, it, it, it has to be. Yeah, yeah, because so, I, Someone must put in a performance, yeah, and everyone does a fuck with him and they think, yeah, he did yeah. so well in that, but I hate him. So we're not voting for you. Do you know what? Yeah. Considering yeah. considering what's been happening in like the the news and the in the whole industry, especially with like the Harvey Weinstein case and everything else, imagine over the years how many votes have probably not been cast or people have missed out because these actors and the people who are voting know of their associations or on the other side are associated with those people. So in terms of the call-outs and everything else, people are probably missing out on awards. Like, I yeah, mean, I, I just think it's so much to not, yeah, that we don't know what's going on. But yeah, it's always yeah. interesting to actually see. I mean, see that, was, that was also yeah. some of the complaint last year, wasn't it? It was the fact that Andrea Riseborough, um, mm-hmm. I think it was it for, for Leslie, um, she campaigned extremely hard. She leveraged a lot of friends in the business and she really drove at them to get a nomination for the Oscar and she got it and everyone got really pissed off and said, you know, she wasn't deserving or whatever. So, but at the end of the day, that's just how that's just, it's a business, you know, yeah. everyone's looking at things like the iron claw saying Zac Efron should be best actor, but no one is campaigning for it. A24 have done a terrible job at hyping it up and getting it in for the award submissions that it yeah. likes because it's been blocked everywhere apart from some minor critic groups in the States. Like state you know what's crazy about the Iron Claw as well? It just feels like, as someone who watches a lot of wrestling content as well, there is, there's not much of an algorithm even leading it to there. But yeah. when you look at the history, you probably know why because from what I know of the film, and I'm not trying to spoil it for myself, even though I know the extent of the story, like with the WWE and, and Vince McMahon himself, mm-hmm, he yeah. essentially waged war against that company as well as everyone else in like the Northern American territories when it came to, to wrestling. So 
yeah, like they wouldn't get that back in, even though something pretty big's going on. You'd think there'd be a sick association there. Like this is probably going to be one of the best wrestling films ever. Mm-hmm. I remember yeah. when Mickey Rock's wrestling film came out, he did yeah. have that little kind of, you know, that, that WWE press run. Yeah, and he got he got the nomination for that for best actor. He obviously didn't win it, but he got the nomination. Um, well, you said he, you think Vince suppressed it? Yeah, hundred percent. Vince is yeah, like it, it wouldn't even yeah, it wouldn't entirely make sense because when you when you look at it, like Vince, I'm I'm not sure how much you both know. I know Ross, you know much more about like the the truth behind yeah, it. Yeah. But Scully, I don't want to spoil it for you. What Albert, the, uh, the Iron Claw? Yeah, Iron the Claw. Iron Claw. Oh no, I know, oh, I know the story behind it. Okay, so I know Vince, the family, yeah. And spoilers ahead, guys. No, yeah, would, maybe let's not. Let's not. Let's not. No, no. Let's, okay. let's do a whole. Yeah, because we're gonna yeah, do an episode. Yeah, yeah. I, I would do you know love the story of the film. Yeah, yeah, that's hundred percent. Yeah, we know. But you know what? Sorry to even cut you off, Ross. But for the sake of brevity and time, I would like to get onto the Golden Globes and look at probably some of the best categories where we can list off some of the films and see if we agree or if there's any things that kind of fall have fallen out. So what I'm going to do is split them. I don't think we'll have time to cover every single one, but you know what I mean? The I ones do, your core, do your core, your picture, your actors, you know, your director yeah, yeah. maybe. So I think we could start off with a big one because why not? Best film, drama, Oppenheimer was the winner. Obvious, it yep. went up against Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Past Lives, The Zone of Interest, and Anatomy of a Fool. Are we all in agreement? Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Like, I thought we'd win. Literally, and Lily Gladstone really briefly touched upon that. I think the only person that may have actually, really, she, yeah, for both reasons of the film and her acting and you know, everything else that comes with what Killers of the Flower Moon is, I feel like she, yeah, she deserved it. Some really, some really great performances in there. Like, Kerry Mulligan in Maestro, I thought was also phenomenal. Sandra Hullock in, and and that we full, great. Uh, Best film, musical or comedy, Poor Things. Yep. This is, this is one of those cases where me and Scully are going to actually watch that on Thursday, right? So tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah, so... This is by the time bit, people are hearing this, we'll have watched it. Yeah, basically. But you know what kind of frustrates me, right? We've been talking about this a lot, Ross, with the releases of a lot of these types of films. It's like we're not seeing them enough. And they it generates such a conversation, gets to our shores much later than usual. And yeah, it, it's it's kind of spoiled for us. Did you catch poor things at the London Film Festival there? Yeah, yeah, I caught it on my my last day there. Um, it's also interesting to note because poor things got cut by the BBFC, so they had to cut a single scene out for it to get a, a distribution. Otherwise, they weren't going to get let it go out. Um, so there's also this whole thing around censorship of art. So you know, it, not to kind of take too much time on it but i guess you know that's part of the reason why festivals and kind of these screenings are so important because actually you'll get to see films in their current you know in their actual intended form before governing bodies step in and just say we don't like this scene we don't like that scene take it out so you yeah know, if you saw poor things at the festival run it's only it's literally one scene probably about 10 seconds worth of film mm-hmm. so for the masses they wouldn't understand but it is just annoying this that you've got that censorship that comes through Interesting, but poor things, I think, is the best musical comedy. Yeah, I mean, you know, it it is terrific, it is, you know, one of the best films of the year. Um, and you know, and it'll probably end up in my probably top 10 for the year, you know, when we kind of come to December time, so that's not a surprise. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, I think Holdovers will give it kind of a good run for its money because Holdovers is dominating lots of categories, all the critic nominations, so that's going to be the bigger contender with it. Um, yeah. But everything's in Oppenheimer's weight, you know, because Killian Murphy won Best Actor at the Globes, Downey Jr. Mm. won Best Supporting Actor. Um, mm. That is the thing to beat. You know, it's interesting because the Globe splits it out by comedy, musical, and by drama. So it kind of gives you your kind of your leading horses in the race, as it were. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, actress will be, be likely between Gladstone and Emma Stone, but Gladstone, I think, is the lock at this point because... You know, Between a stone talk, and everyone, a hard place. 
Oh. <laughs> really good. Um, but everyone said that she shouldn't have swapped from supporting into actress, and she's just really smiling wrong. so hard right now. He's so <laughs> yeah, he's, that was yeah. I really like it. Loser. I, really <laughs> I know you wish you came up with that one, Ross. I know you're burning. <laughs> that is a real <laughs> special. <laughs> that is hilarious. But yeah, no, that is that is fascinating. And then just to note, I I loved Air, but I didn't think it was as funny as the holdovers. Or Barbie, you know no. what I mean? Like, so, oh no, I haven't been incensed to watch Air. Like, I'm gonna watch it, but I haven't been yeah. incensed to watch it. Yeah, you already I, know. I don't story, know why. So, yeah, think, yeah. It just it's just like a dancery of good acting. That's that's all it is. Mm. And you know the story already. So. I might watch it tomorrow. Oh no, we're watching Paul Things tomorrow. I might watch it Friday. Mm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, Air was fine. You know, mm-hmm. uh, the one thing I'm happy about from the Globes is that Maestro did not win anything. Wow! Yeah, and that's because you really hate Maestro. That film. It's um, <laughs> it's it's because it's shallow. It is because it's all surface and nothing oh, else. Darling, it is darling, Bradley. It's my... Bradley Cooper saying, "Oh, please, may I have the Oscar, sir?" And trying his hardest to get it. And it's um, what's quite interesting is because I thought if you look, he's directed two movies. He directed Star Is Born and Maestro. And if you look at a Star Is Born, I thought that was brilliant. And he probably should have won Best Actor for that. But what they decided to do was give it to Rami Malek and his fake buck teeth as he gave the shittest performance as Freddie Mercury. So what has he learned from that? To get an Oscar, you have to just give a campy, (laughs) wiggy performance where you just do an accent and then you're good. Yeah, you have to do something biographical, representative of a section of society that's, you know, really quite respected and... There you go. You're lined up for those yeah. nominations. It's literally him screaming, I want to win an award. Please give it to me. And the funny thing is, currently people aren't buying into it. It's just like Ferrari. It's, it is getting lots of nominations and it will. It will get nominated everywhere, yeah. but it'll probably be one of these films like if you look at a couple of years ago, for example, like Nightmare Alley or like The Irishman mm-hmm. gets nominated for like 10 or 12 Oscars, but doesn't win any. And it's because it is a technically brilliant film, but it's just it's all surface it's very shallow you don't really learn anything about the characters and it and people i think aren't engrossed in it and i'm going to make an admission slow and boring i'm going to make an admission i never watched the star is born because i hated la la land so much that for the next 3 to 5 years i just didn't want to watch any <laughs> musicals no star is born is great it's, that it's, yeah. i've heard everyone's told me it's amazing yeah. i'm going to watch it Same. i will watch it as well but also I'm cautious of time here. We should moving on, should be moving on to our review of One Life. But I just want to touch on a few more Golden Globe winners before we do that. So, yeah, best best male actor in a film, musical or comedy. Paul Giamatti won that, of course. Best yeah, TV boy. series drama, um, Succession winner, of course, again. I feel like these are the categories in which Scully, as Scully said, you know, we know who was going to win. Sorry, Smoke picked up uh, Best Female Actor from Succession, The Bear, Best TV Series, Musical or Comedy, Best Limited TV Series, Anthology Series, or TV Movie was Beef. Really Ali Wong and Stephen Yun both won the acting for that. Uh, yeah. uh, Best Asian Actors to do up. so. Though. You know what? Also, shout out to my guy, Ludwig Gunnarsson for Oppenheimer and also for The Black Panther scores. So he won the best original score in the film, and I just think he is tremendous. But also, Dan Daniel Pemberton for Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, I feel like it was super immersive. Shout out to him as well. Um, Can I just say on Ludwig, yeah, it's hilarious, because yeah. I know Ludwig from like 2010 maybe times. He was collaborating with Childish Gambino, and that's when I became familiar with him. Uh, yeah, and he always has done, like his first few like mixtapes and albums. And I mm-hmm. thought he was a great producer then. Like, he made me take Childish Gambino seriously as a musician. Like, he'd been making music, and I was like, camp is what it is. It was what, it's not that great. That's amazing. And then they did, like, a mixtape, and then they did um, they did because of the internet and all of this. And I was like, wow, this producer that he's working with is crazy. I started taking him seriously as a musician, and then he moved into film, and he's obviously been doing TV scores. He's been insane. Yeah. And then that's the only amazing. other thing I'd say in Golden Globes is... Uh, the Boy and the Heron won Best Animated Film, which is fair enough. We discussed it in the group chat. I uh, think it yes. won because it was um, 
I think it won because it was Miyazaki's last film, allegedly. I don't think it's in his top five or even top ten. I do mm-hmm. think Across the Spider-Verse is slightly the better animated film. But Ross pointed out that Into the Spider-Verse is. won a couple of years ago and Beyond the Spider-Verse is coming soon and people yeah. expect it to win again. Yeah. So it's kind of like I, not everyone can win. I need to see Elemental and Wish. I've skipped a Wish viewing so many times because they're only showing baby viewings in my local cinema. But also, I want to shout out Suzume. Like, you introduced me to yes. the director, Masako. I've forgotten Tan. his name. Let me check now. I'm just checking now. Um, it is directed by Makoto Shinkai. Uh, okay, yeah, Makoto Shinkai. Yeah, I remember you were telling me his films are really good. So we checked out Suzume, and it was brilliant. So I'd also suggest that if you, if you haven't seen, but yeah. We should now probably be getting to our, you know, main review for the day, which is One Life by James Hawes. Now, I'm not sure if if anyone's seen, but yeah, a few of us have started like reviewing much more content on TikTok and with myself. My first film that I reviewed on TikTok was One Life by James Hawes, and admittedly, it made me tear up in two different moments, not entirely because of the subject matter, well, that's a large part, but because of what is actually going on in the world right now. And yeah, it was it was pretty triggering triggering for me. I thought it was uh it was a it was a really good movie. It was a it was a tearjerker. I felt I felt like it was so relative to today in terms of his humanitarian appeal. And I learned mm-hmm. something great in terms of Nicholas Winton and what he you know, attempted to do in, in saving the lives of children. He ended up saving 669 lives in 1938 to 39, where he helped uh, a whole, well, obviously 669 children from Czechoslovakia evade invading Nazi forces. So yeah, what did you guys think about the film? Ross, I'll let you start. Um, one Life is what I like to call, you know, BBC prestige drama or like a BBC television movie. Um, so it's apt that BBC Films was one of the, like, I guess, the core distributors for it. Um, and I, I maybe this is something that, you know, I don't know if it's just me, but quite often there is a certain category of British film that you watch that looks feels sounds very similar to what you'd probably see on bbc one around christmas time you know just they're like oh especially for this time of year we've done a a tv for made movie there's one called marvelous a few years ago that had toby jones in and it's similar sort of kind of feel and it's also i think a lot of the supporting characters away from like your core leads you just recognize them for so much from tv um and that's also i think just kind of in tone i thought the film was fine you know, I, I completely agree that it's it's heartfelt. It's obviously trying to go for the emotional trigger. Um, it's quite interesting because I watched it with Antia and Antia was in floods of tears, especially towards those more emotional moments. And I almost it almost it almost got me. Um I think I didn't quite kind of have that same reaction, but purely because I've seen some of that kind of real footage, which, you know, I think affected me uh, more. Yeah. Um yeah. As a, as a whole, you know, I think Anthony Hopkins delivers a a good performance. You know, there's nothing sadder than still kind of watching Anthony Hopkins kind of cry on camera. Um, I think you know if you've watched <sighs> The Father, there's a reason why the Oscar Oscar went to him a couple of years ago, um, kind mm-hmm. of controversially, even if so. But people kind of react to that. Um, I think Johnny Flynn was really good as well in that kind of like the younger Nicholas Winton. Yeah. 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 Definitely. He's really, really engaging. Yeah. And the film itself is, it's unsurprising. It's straightforward. It's, you know, it's a biopic done easy paint by numbers type situation, but it's fine. I enjoyed it. You know, I came out thinking that's, it's not going to be a, a memorable movie for me, but it's definitely something that I could put on fairly, I say easygoing. It's obviously a very kind of harrowing subject matter and obviously emotional movie, but I could easily watch it again. Um, Can I add what, to the one point you made on yeah. that? You said like it wouldn't be so memorable for you. And I I totally accept and get your perception of it being like that kind of high class BBC 
drama feel. Mm. It definitely feels like something that, that I'd be switching over on TV. I, I catch it, realize it's a true story, and then I'm attached. And like, um, for me, what I liked about it and what I was impressed by was the debut director in James Hawes. And I like a biographical drama, but I feel like he used the two different time, well, parts of the timeline, but like he used 1938 and 39 in contrast to the present day, then 1988, Nicholas Hoxton. It, it felt like a, a window into each other and he kind of played it, I wouldn't say perfectly, but greatly in the way he set up the scenes. So you have the scene where the modern day Nicholas is considering something and it goes into a whole kind of dialogue of him considering that uh, this is all this clutter in this office and it would send you back to 1938 to show how meticulous he was in gathering all of those ideas and why it's so important mm-hmm. to him. And then it would find time to flick back to show him reacting to that. So I feel like it, it bounced together really well. And I was I was pretty impressed by that. So I think that's what I'll take away the most from the film, aside from its humanitarian appeal. I feel like, yeah, for a debut director, he done really well. What about he you? Actually yeah. directed, he actually directed Enid in 2010. No, I meant like as a feature-length film. That's his oh, first yeah, he... film. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, um, all right. I, I think I enjoyed One Life. I think I liked it a bit more than Ross, but a bit less than you. Like... I think mm-hmm. the acting was engaging. I think the subject matter was powerful. And like, there are some really powerful shots in like the bits where everybody stands up and realizes they're in the room with Winton. And I think the messaging is really good and really pertinent at a time like today, like I was saying, like it's really important in a time of hyper individualism that people try and support their community and do they do all they can for the people around yeah. them. I enjoyed everything that, they did to make this film. What I will say is that between this, Rye Lane, Scrapper, After Sun, Triangle Sadness, and what else am I forgetting? And The Iron Claw, those mm-hmm. are all produced by BBC Film. And BBC are on a crazy run right now. That's like, like BBC Film are on, that is an untenable run over two years. Like I'm sure, obviously there's other production companies involved, like for Iron Claw, there's A24 involved and like all of this. But to just have those five films along with several others over a two, three year period, that is crazy. So beat yeah. them up and there's some real heavy hitters in there. Definitely. Um, and yeah. Like, I was no, it, was, it, was, it was a good film. It was a good film. People should definitely go and watch it. But I also feel like, to Ross's point, you're not missing out if you miss it in cinema. Like, it's definitely a film you can watch on TV at home. It's not like explosions and special effects. It's all about the narrative and the storytelling. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't necessarily think that, you know, um, you can have films that don't necessarily have to have, like, those explosions and whatnot. I think you can still have quieter, more kind of character Mm -hmm. or human-driven stories be cinematic i just feel like a lot of british movies what they tend to do and it's just maybe it's just the way it's set up and it's filmed and just however it's kind of like crude or whatever but they always feel or a a good chunk feel less cinematic so if you take something like how to have sex um you know that feels cinematic it looks Mm -hmm. and feels different to how a lot of these other kind of films work but particularly period pieces and maybe it's just the way they're they're run they yeah. always just have that feeling of this isn't as cinematic as perhaps I would like. There's nothing absolutely wrong with it. I think last year uh, I saw Operation Mincemeat, which is similar sort of kind of World War Two movie, very similar. You know, you had a, a big cast, you had Colin Firth, you had Matthew McFadden, you also had Johnny Flynn. And that's what I mean. You get these recurring kind of actors coming through and they look and feel similar and they're the sort of... BBC one or two Sunday afternoon five o'clock you get a cup of tea, it's on. You know, like, yeah, sure, why not? Yeah, and you know what? On on that period drama point, I also looked at the other producer, Seesaw Films, right? And um, yeah, they directed some films in which made sense. Remember the other well before Christmas and like the New Year's. Remember when we were talking about those Christmas films that aren't Christmas films and it's the idea around the idea. 
like in the same sense, I see this as a film that is like a war film that isn't really about war film. It's just like a, a film about that idea. And yeah. like Oppenheimer. Yeah, exactly like Oppenheimer. Yeah. So Seesaw Films produced like the King's Speech. And I remember like that was like an Academy Award winner for like Best Picture. And it also it shapes won. up to be like a yeah, historical account, war film, that's not a war film, that just describes the emotion and the charge of an individual. And sometimes it's, it's quite boring. Other times it's quite enlightening. I feel like this is the latter because it actually shows you something that is really applicable to real world. And that's what made me so emotional about the film. I, I look at this and I see something that is just processed through that process of capitalism. It's like, you get an idea, you put it through a commodification kind of process. And it's like, here, here's this film that is telling you to be a better, better human being. But at the end of the day, we might not see these things played out in real life. And one thing that is mad about the film is that scrapbook of Nicholas Winton actually sits in Jerusalem today in the um, Yad Vashem Holocaust Memorial Museum. And it's like, you know, what are Israel currently doing in Palestine? Like, we know what's going on. And yeah, so that that's what made me feel funny about the film. But aside from that, I thought it's fascinating. It should be be something people should watch in terms of perspective right now but if maybe we weren't in those situations across the world today then yeah i don't think it would be as powerful personally for me but yeah that's that's definitely what a film worth watching like an eight something for me no i definitely agree with you it's definitely a film worth watching and i did draw i did draw those same parallels mentally like i was like yeah this is crazy that this happened 90 years ago mm-hmm. and we are in a place where you know, children are subjected to the dangers of war in 2024. Yeah. And it is still the same thing. And the thing that, the thing that made me personally emotional more so about the film was the fact that like, th- there's two good things about it, right? Like it shows Nicholas Winton as a good guy, but it, it feels to me not very preachy. Like it's yeah. just like, this is what he does. And this is what, how mm-hmm. he expects to live his life. And it's not telling you, you need to live like this. It's just like, this is how he lives. And then the second part was that like, during that modern parallel, I was like, wow, I don't think people are really like that anymore. Like, if we were like, oh, we need to take in 2,000 children from this country because they're at war in 2024, how many families would come forward and be like, you know what, actually, we'll do it? Yeah. Like, would we still see the same amount? Like, it, it really pushed home to me the lack of community and the increase of individualism. We've done yeah. that with Ukraine, like, you know, with true, their true. Russia, with their um, war against Russia but True. yeah it really depends on how these migrants are perceived and I remember those moments in the film in which there was a lot of well not a lot of but there was a bit of stigma it was like those indications that Nickers had to do so much and essentially bully people back home to make the right decision and it was like beforehand they were a bit like shy to even consider the idea because you have to remember during that moment in time and another thing that made this so interesting for me is the war hadn't started yet yeah you know what i mean like the invasion actually hadn't started yet it was like everything that was happening was happening before so that's that's a reason for me to have that much more respect for nicholas winton and also um uh what is her name uh, Warriner, Miss Warriner, I forgot her name, Doreen Warriner, Trevor Chadwick, like these are humanitarians that got like a, a cross, forgot the specific medal, but you know, they received yeah um, praise for their work. So yeah, they saved so many lives even before the war kicked off. It's, so, um, imagine. it's, it's kind of interesting. Like, I guess there's two things there, like the comparison, obviously, as you say, like to the modern day and it's how, I guess now those people in need are perceived, right? Because that's the question. That's what I said, like me and Antio, as we were walking back to the car, I said, you wouldn't see that today. You wouldn't see that push perhaps more kind of um, widely for Palestinian children to kind of get away into safety. 
and again that's just because of the perception that's that's peddled for it um yeah. and you know and it's and it's wrong and i think the other thing that struck me as well and one of the first observations i made was isn't it interesting that the government then said yeah great we'll help you as long as you give us a load of money per child it's crazy. You know, they would only help when they so knew financially similar. they would gain and you yeah. know and it's you know and you we talk about kind of you know the cost of life in capitalism and it's it, there you go like even as far yeah. back then it's like great you know we can do the right thing as long as it pays for us and 50 pounds it's a child it's it, it is meant to be a very uplifting story and a, i guess a you know a unique tale of, I guess, heroism for for this man, Nicholas Winton, and the, his colleagues who helped get these children out. But part of me can't escape the fact that perhaps these stories are being told because we know that this probably won't happen again. This sort of kind of humanitarian push and support in this modern world is is unique. I've uh, just adjusted fifty pound in nineteen thirty eight for the yep, cost of inflation. That's exactly what I was looking at. Four thousand two hundred seventy-four pounds. That is the cost of a young child's life. How much? Four thousand two hundred seventy-four pounds. I've also got well, this six hundred sixty-nine. So what? Two point nine million. God. Yes, that's, that's, that's crazy. Well, on on this website that I got, it was a CPI inflation calculator. Mm-hmm. It says two thousand four hundred ninety, but I guess exact like. It depends on the inflation and the rates of it. And obviously mm-hmm. we live in this world now where different currencies have such a different going rate. Like, yeah, yeah. what was it, would it really cost? So, yeah, it's, it's absolutely insane. But I think on that point, we could essentially wrap up this episode and, yeah, like give some insight to next week. Where well, we shall be talking about, help me out, guys. Poor thing. Poor thing. The films Poor of Yorgos Lanthimos. Poor things. Poor things. Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested. Well, I'm really excited, I should say. Not even interested. I'm excited because from what I've heard, Emma Stone goes crazy. It's, it is a crazy film. Yeah. Like, well, it's, um, excited. It, is, it is darkly funny. It's, you know really kind of i say gothically kind of romantic it's great i loved it um but i love yorgos anthemos anyway because i think he's just such a kind of unique storyteller um but yeah it'll be interesting to see everyone's views um we should also say that jude and i are going to go see the holdovers on tuesday yes uh, in a special q a at bfi which will have director alexander payne and stars uh, was it Divine Joy Randolph and Paul Giamatti uh, in the room to talk about their characters, the film, I guess some of the response. So maybe we do a, a double duty. We do both films in next week's episode, or maybe we do something a little bit shorter and separate for the holdovers, maybe. Who knows? Yeah, um, like we, we could we could do that. I enjoyed last week's episode. And yeah, man, um, I hope, I think CJ would also be back next week. So if anyone's missing his annoying voice, he Has anybody seen CJ? Has anybody C- seen my CJ. CJ? We might have. We might have to, you know, just pile up on him, rush him because that would be two. It's what he deserves. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's just it's what he deserves. Absent, but we missed you. We'll, we'll see you next week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Don't see the you listeners, man. Uh, thank you for listening, guys. Bye. <laughs> Sports Social Podcast Network.